Welcome to Australian Hiker. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. Welcome to Australian Hiker, podcast number 45, a continuation of our Women and Hiking series. In today's podcast, we'll be talking to a couple of very experienced and uh, keen hikers. Uh, We've interviewed uh, Caitlin, who will be first up, and also Amanda. Uh, Both have a lot of hiking experience around the world, particularly in Australia. Um, And you'll see as you listen to... Uh, what they've been doing, how they've taken their own hiking into different areas. So before we start the uh, the interviews, uh, we'd like to announce uh, another competition that we're running. Uh, we had an overwhelming response to our first competition uh, as part of our birthday celebrations. The the positive feedback was amazing and the comments that we received about uh, the value and the benefit that people were receiving uh, from the podcast that we were making was uh, just sensational and we really did appreciate all that positive feedback. So it spurred us on to uh, do another competition. Uh, there'll be details on our Facebook page. Uh, essentially what we're going to be asking you to do is go onto iTunes and uh, provide a review uh, of the podcast, again, to sort of promote getting word out there, um, and uh, you'll be in the draw to win some more gear vouchers. So make sure you check out the Facebook page. Now, our first interview is with Caitlin. Uh, Caitlin is a young woman uh, who got into hiking with her family um, as a child and has continued her hiking adventures into adulthood. Um, She is a very outdoorsy young person um, and does all sorts of outdoor activities uh, in addition to hiking, including uh, rock climbing as part of her hiking experiences. She hikes with family, she hikes with a mum, she hikes with a brother and she hikes with uh, groups of friends Um, and uh, she's just very enthusiastic and passionate and uh, quite infectious about her love of hiking. So I hope you enjoy uh, Caitlin sharing her experiences of hiking with you. Okay, hello everyone. We're here with Caitlin who's going to be talking with us uh, on this podcast about women in hiking. Uh, Caitlin has done a lot of hiking um, all over Australia and New Zealand um, as well as in Spain on the El Camino so it'll be interesting to hear a bit about that. Uh, Thank you for agreeing to speak with us and welcome Caitlin. Thank you very much. Um, we'll get started by asking you to just let us uh, know a little bit more about yourself. Um, 
I've been interested in outdoor sort of adventure sports my whole life. My parents, um, you know, were keen cross-country skiers and hikers and dabbled in a bit of kayaking and caving and that sort of thing. So um, my brother and I have always been into the outdoors um, and, you know, do rock climbing, caving, kayaking, hiking, cross-country skiing. And pretty much anything outdoors. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so what kind of hiking are you really interested in? What's what's the kind of hiking that um, gets you excited? Uh, I really do like all kinds of things. So um, it's been very broad ranging, you know, from the Camino, which was all urban and staying in sort of hostel kind of um, accommodation through to, um, you know, complete wilderness, no tracks, nabbing. Um, I, you know, I really don't know. I guess I like to go to really spectacular places and I, I do like to get off the beaten tracks. So I think, yeah, the sort of more remote wildernessy walks are probably my favourite, but um, they've all left a really lasting impression. Okay. And so what's the most challenging um, hike you've been doing? I think the most challenging hike I've ever done was the um, Western Arthurs in Tasmania. Um, we allowed 14 days to do that, but took 10 in the end and, um, it was all on track, but, um, very challenging terrain, lots of, um, scrambling up and down rocks, having to take off your pack and pass them, lots of exposed scrambling and, um, very changeable, exciting weather (laughs) on top of the range. Yeah. Yeah. And you did that with a group, a small group? Or? Yeah, that's right. Um, my brother organised that one with a group of friends um, at the end of high school, so at the end of year 12. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Okay. And when you do these hikes, um, is there something that, uh, I don't know, worries you or something that you're probably more concerned about than other things? Yeah. Now my two primary concerns, um, I absolutely hate thunderstorms. So um, I'm always worried if we're not sleeping in an overhang or, or not staying in a hut or something like that, you know, camping out, if I'm worried about the weather and if it's going to be changeable and if there's going to be a storm. Um, and the other one is I'm, I'm always concerned about whether there's going to be somewhere appropriate to dig because, <laughs> um, you know, there's some, when you hike a lot, there are some pretty average things that you see out there and you don't want to be one of those people, but sometimes, you know, you can only get two centimetres deep or there's nowhere to go away from camp or it's impossible to get away from the stream. So that's my other, yeah, real pet hate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we, um, when we were hiking on Larapinta, we did find that. We did, some people weren't as uh, uh, particular as they should have been yeah. um, in that regard. So, and it is a bit of a challenge. And I think, you know, sometimes when you, when the, the guidance is that you, you know, need to be so far away from a stream and all those, all those sorts of things, the practicality then starts to step in a little bit. Yeah. Yes. It can be very difficult. <laughs> okay. So and what about critters? Is there any bugs or, or animals that worry you? I mean, I, I don't think anyone likes ticks or snakes, but, um, you know, I guess they're just part of it. But, yeah, I really, really don't like ticks. We get home from a walk if we've seen ticks or if it's known yeah. to be a ticky area. There's always a thorough checking over to make sure we haven't brought any home. And, yeah. yeah. 
I know what you mean. <laughs> Tim's not not a fan of ticks either. Yeah, yeah, no, they're horrible things. <laughs> so when we um, when we talk to uh, people about hiking, particularly women, um, they make comments about things that uh, you know worry them, particularly around their safety and so on. Have you ever been hiking where you've been worried or you've been, you know, uh, perhaps surprised that uh, you were safer than you were expecting to be? Um, I mean, not really. I, most of my hiking's been with a group, and I guess I just feel that pretty safe with with my friends and family. I feel like we look out for each other. Um, I, I do get a bit afraid of the dark, so sometimes if I have to get up in the night, I do worry about that. Um, but you know, I just stay close to camp. Or if I'm really worried, I would ask my tent mate, you know, is it okay if I wake you up? So you know, you'll hear me if I yell out or anything. So I mean, on the whole, um, no. I mean, I don't find hiking that frightening unless, yeah, unless I'm on my own. Yeah. Okay. And we were talking earlier, and you said that you had done a, a solo hike. Yep. Um, tell us about that. So um, that was actually earlier this year in New Zealand and a group of my friends were doing the root burn track which I had already done so I decided I would walk the Greenstone track and okay. join them um, when we'd, we'd finish on the Capels track so I would walk the first two or three days two and a half days on my own and then meet up with them after that um, I just thought it was a good opportunity to do something I hadn't done rather than repeat something I had done and that there's no better place to to experiment with solo walking than New Zealand because um, on the great walks especially yeah. it's so safe they've got an amazing tracks and hut infrastructure and there's usually a hut warden somewhere on the track as well so you'll you'll meet up with them at some point on the track and they'll collect your fees and they'll ask about where you're going and that sort of thing and there's other people as well I mean there's lots of solo hikers in New Zealand so um yeah on the whole it's pretty good I was worried setting off that I would be the only person alone in a hut and yeah. I think that would be quite confronting but you know I would have gotten through it but as it turned out there was not a night when I was on my own um there were always like two or three other people around yeah um plus the hut warden and then you know I knew I was walking towards my friends so if I didn't show up um they would take some sort of action so yeah <laughs> um yeah on the whole it was, it was a really good experience and um yeah a lot less confronting than I thought it would be actually yeah and do, do you think um your concerns about it being confronting was was that about being a woman or was that just about being alone um I mean I don't I mean I don't really know I think it's about being alone but I couldn't say yeah. whether I might feel differently if I were a man or not but um certainly I have um, you know I have this fear of the dark particularly and it's better when there are other people <laughs> but I don't I don't know where it comes from <laughs> And when you're doing your hiking, are you is your preference for tenting or is is it for huts? You talked a bit about the huts. Uh, I mean, it, it depends. Either or. I really like camping, but I do I like the security that huts give you. You know, when the weather's bad okay. or, yeah. Okay, good. All right. And because we're talking about women in hiking, there are all those sorts of personal things that we need to be uh, conscious of. Is there um, any any hints or tips that you can give? Uh, women who might be listening that you know a little bit of a hiking hack for women <laughs> um i mean i think the the number one thing is hand sanitizer is uh yeah you should always carry some hand sanitizer it's brilliant and you can use it for all kinds of things um you know like if you forget your antiseptic you can put it on your cut so if yeah. you if you really feel desperate to to sort of wash off but there's nowhere to wash you can like dab it on a I don't know a piece of toilet paper or a towel if you carry one and like give yourself a bit of a scrub um certainly you can use it to clean your hands which is always very very handy um but yeah I mean otherwise other than that um 
everyone has a different way of dealing with um, with things. So I've been experimenting recently with reusable menstrual products. Okay. Um, and I don't know whether I would recommend it on the whole or not. If, <laughs> if you've got running water, um, clean water, and, you know, it's, water's plentiful, it's a really good option because you can wash it every day. Um, but if you don't, that could be quite tricky, you know, if you need to save your drinking water. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't think there's an ideal solution, but there's always a way to, to cope with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I must admit I, um, I read some something about uh, – things like menstrual cups and those sorts of things. And I just thought, oh, I don't know. I just don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely take some getting used to. And, yeah, you want to, you want to be able to wash it. You want to be able to clean it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you're out more than a day sort of thing. You know, and I think sometimes um, uh, coloured Ziploc bags are a bit hard to find and having to have two just in case and, you know, bags inside bags and all of that kind of stuff, it's – you know, it can get a bit tricky. but Yeah, that's right. I mean, you've just got to have a way of um, sealing your rubbish appropriately if you're carrying out rubbish and that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, your point is a good one. It's, it's about just trying some stuff out and see what works for you and um, if it doesn't move on and try something else out. Yeah, that's right. I mean, yeah. Thank you. There's a bit of experimentation involved definitely in terms of finding <laughs> out what works. Okay. So in terms of um, things like um, moisturisers and those sorts of things, soap, do you, do you take those things with you? No, um, not generally. I, I mean, on the Camino I carried shampoo because I'm staying in hostels and there's um, showers every night. But um, in general, no, I um, I might carry pawpaw ointment so I can use that for my lips and any chafing. Yeah. So if I get really dry, cracked skin, I could put that on. And then, yeah, the hand sanitizer for, you know, anything else. Yeah, otherwise, um, no. Okay. Do you take block out and, uh, or, um, and or um, insect repellent? Yes. Yeah. I um, always carry insect repellent and sunscreen. Yeah. Although I do tend to dress fully like I try and wear okay. long sleeves and shorts and gaiters or long pants and gaiters, so try and be almost completely covered. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little bit like that. I find after, um, even with a really sensitive uh, sunscreen, after a few days I'll start to break out a little bit and that's not Yeah, it's nice. not ideal, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's easier just to cover up. Yep. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So um, if, if you were going to um, go on a hike, what's the thing that you would not leave home without? I don't, yeah, that's a tough question. Um, there are so many essential items, I guess. Um, I would never go out. I would never leave home without my hat, for example. Yeah. Um, you know, keeps the sun off and keeps ticks out of your hair <laughs> and all like twigs and dirt and everything else. So um, definitely a hat, definitely the hand sanitizer, um, some form of shelter for sure. Even if I'm staying in, even on the Camino or um, staying in huts in New Zealand, I would always carry like a survival bag or something just in case I get caught out in the open and have to yeah. spend a night. Any luxury items? Um, not really. I mean, I would always carry a toothbrush. Some people would consider that a luxury item, but yeah. I consider it an essential. <laughs> and a hairbrush. Again, um, I do know a lot of um, a lot of girls who go hiking who don't carry a hairbrush, but I would always or a, or a comb or something. But I would always carry one. Um, yeah, so definitely those things. But no. Um, special luxuries, I guess. With a group, we might carry a pack of cards or something, but okay. no personal, yeah, not really. Okay. And when, you, when you're out hiking, what's, um, say if you're doing a couple of days and you're going to be tenting and that sort of thing, what's the sort of average size of or weight of your pack? Um, 
Yeah, it's highly varied, but I would always try and keep my pack under 16 kilos. So mm-hmm. that's the heavy end. Um, these days, kind of for a two or three day hike, I'd like to try and keep it under sort of 14. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. And um, how much water do you usually carry when you're Oh, so that depends. So in, in Tasmania where there's lots of rain and you read reviews and, you know, people say, I don't even treat the water, I probably wouldn't carry more than a litre because you're going to be crossing streams all the time and, you know, you can fill up whenever. And the same in New Zealand, it's really easy often to find fresh, clean water regularly. But um, on a hike where, you know, there's no water um, during the day and there's only going to be water at night and it's going to be hot, I might carry like three litres. And then if, you, if you know, if there's not going to be any water at camp, there was one hike where we um, there was water at lunchtime, so we carried these big bladders that we could fill up because we knew there wouldn't be any water at camp that night. So we did the second half of that day carrying six litres each. Yeah. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah it was made our packs a lot heavier. <laughs> the second half of the day was a lot less pleasant than the first half. I was going to say, the only good thing about that is it gets lighter and lighter as you go. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and what sort of food do you carry when you're out? Um, also depends. So for a a one night hike would probably take fresh stuff like carrot and zucchini or something like that to have with pasta. Um, but on a longer hike, um, you know, it gets more and more dehydrated. So our big long hike in the Western Arthurs, um, and big long hike, other big long hikes that we've done in Tasmania, we've carried, um, mostly dehydrated meals. So, you know, these days you can buy that, um, backpackers pantry kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, that we carried, you know, just those on the Western Arthurs and that was it. So we could just boil water and pour it in. We figured that was the lightest way to go. But, um, you know, we try and be more gourmet on shorter walks, you know, <laughs> mix it up a bit, noodles and lapchong and or pasta and pesto. And Deb, we eat a lot of Deb, the dehydrated potato. potato. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a big fan, the dehydrated potato. Yeah. Very good, very good. Um, do you carry bowls and those sorts of things? Were you were talking about the dehydrated um uh, meals do you do you eat out of the packs or do you put them into bowls with the dehydrated meals i tend to eat out of the pack yeah. um, but i would always carry i always carry a cup because you know you always want a yeah. cuppa or or hot chocolate um and I, I have a sort of half liter mug so i use that as my bowl even when we're planning to cook something that doesn't come in a packet um i figure i can double up on the cup and bowl just can't have a drink and a meal at the same, at the same time. time yeah <laughs> But almost immediately afterwards. Yeah, that's right, <laughs> after you rinse it out a bit. Yeah, that's right. So what guidance would you give to women who are um, contemplating, particularly doing some overnight hiking for the first time? Um, well, I mean, I don't know. I think it depends how confident you are. Um, definitely get out there and do it. I, you know, If you're curious and you're keen, you should get out and have a go. Try and find something that sounds approachable, um, so maybe something short or maybe something that has beds, you know, depending on what level you're at. Um, and if you're worried about walking on your own or anything, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of bushwalking groups and, and clubs that you could, you could go and find people to walk with or find some friends to go out with because mm-hmm. it definitely makes the experience easier even when none of you know what you're doing. If, you know, if you're all in it together, <laughs> it definitely eases the way in, I would say. Just listening to you, uh, the thing that's uh, struck me most is the, um, so the answer to the question of, you know, uh, what do you take and, um, you know, uh, what are you going to use along the way and so on, the answer is it depends. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that's a really good answer because it means you, you're putting uh, a lot of effort into your planning and, and the circumstances and the particular situation and who you're with and all those sorts of things. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's so many different hi- types of hiking. It's, um, you know, the, the types of things that you could go out and do are so, so broad. Um, you know, the types of infrastructure that are there to support you or not, you know, it's, yeah, completely different. So, you know, what you take really depends on, on what you're going to do. Yeah. So did it take you a while to work that out? Was that a lot of trial and error or did you have some people who were helping you? Um, yeah, I think... I did sort of start developing a list quite early on, but so for my first few hikes, I, I didn't have a list. But yeah, quite early on, I, I started writing a list. And now, you know, sometimes I take things out and put things in, but more or less, I, I pull out that list and I make sure that I'm happy with what I've got and everything on the list is there. I definitely, um, in high school, I did the Duke of Edinburgh scheme and I had a really good teacher who, you know, took us through all the things that she would expect us to have in a pack. So a lot of my list came from that time. Um, yeah, and obviously I went walking with my parents and so in terms of gear, you know, they already had a lot of the gear so, I, you know, what I decided to take was heavily influenced by what I had available to take as well. Okay, yeah. And so do you, are you a bit methodical when you're putting your gear together and all of that kind of stuff? Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm a lists person so, I, you know, I go through my list and I get everything out and I lay it out and then I, you know, pack it up into separate packets or however and then I put it in the pack and weigh it and, you know, if it's too heavy, I, I pull it all out again. I'm like, well, I don't need that, I guess. Or you know, maybe I don't need that either. And, and then I put it all back in again. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Lots of process. And I think that's one of the things we're, we're you know, one of the insights that we're trying to share with people is that um, you, you know, pack what's appropriate, um, try and keep it as light as possible. And, um, you know, if you come back at the end of your hike, whether it's you know, a couple of hours or a few days or a couple of weeks, and uh, you've used everything, that's a fantastic outcome because it means that you needed it along the way. As yeah, that's to, right. Perhaps with the exception of your first aid kit. Yeah. Don't always want to use that. Yep. <laughs> and maybe your personal locator beacon yeah, if you're carrying one, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, that was the other thing I was going to mention. Yeah, so that's great. So um, I think... You know, it's been great talking to you and, um, you know, we've learned so much about the experiences uh, that you've been through to get to where you are at at this point in time and the kind of um, varied hiking, I think, uh, that you've been doing. What's on your bucket list? What's next that you're going to do and what's on the bucket list? Okay, well, I mean, next I don't know. We... There might be something coming up, you know, next weekend for all I know, if someone calls me and says, Caitlin, I have a real hankering to go to Cozzy. Do you want to come? Maybe I will. <laughs> um, but the next planned adventure is New Zealand again. My my partner's never been um, hiking in New Zealand or he's only, he's only been once and he wants to do the Milford Track. So um, us and two friends are going to go and do the Milford Track next year, which should be really good. I've, I've done it before, but I'm happy to do it again. It's a, it's a really spectacular, it's a really good walk. But um, in terms of the bucket list, I um, I really, really want to go back to Tassie and do the Eastern Arthurs and Federation Peak. Um, it's definitely, you know, it's an extremely challenging hike. It comes with all these warnings and it's not something that I would attempt without um, some very, very competent, experienced walkers, but also at least one competent climber with um, with a really good head for heights and, you know, a really sort of grounded person. That's not me. So I'm... <laughs> um, 
my brother has has recently moved overseas, so I, you know, I'm waiting for him to come back. Um, hopefully, he will take me there. So I don't know when, but yeah, definitely Federation Peak is 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 the top of my bucket list. It's something I really really want to do. And so, how how long will that take? I think it's uh, again probably another sort of ten-ish day excursion because yeah. you've got to get in. Um, in all the way to the Eastern Arthurs and then you get up on the Eastern Arthur range and then, you know, you allow some days to wait out the weather so that you can climb the peak. Yeah, so I think, um, yeah, probably about 10 days, yeah. Okay. Well, that sounds fantastic and uh, certainly if you if you manage to do that, we'd love to interview you again. Okay. Um, but even after you've done the, the, the Milford um, track again, you know, it'd be interesting to hear about differences i guess that you you might have experienced or noticed along the way yeah yeah for sure i think it'll be quite different as last time was with my mum um yeah i've done a lot of walking with my mum actually as you know she used to take me but now i take her but um yeah this time be quite a different experience i think the the people i'm going with walk a little bit differently to how my mum walks oh you know slowly (laughs) 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 not very determinedly sort of just okay yeah ambles which is good that's good yeah that's good so final words about um you know someone's wanting to get out and do something what guidance would you give them Hmm. i think um you know find something that interests you make sure you plan it really well make sure you know where you're going um if you're navving make sure you take map and compass and um yeah get out there and enjoy it and and you know don't worry too much there are lots of things to worry about but you know um once you're out there you know you're out there so it's not worth worrying about it too much (laughs) well that's great great advice and uh thanks again for joining us and and uh, sharing your experiences and your insights um about hiking thanks for having me and good hiking thank you (laughs) thank you that was such a fantastic interview with caitlin and uh, I'm sure you've caught her uh, infectious uh, passion and love for hiking. We're now going to hear from Amanda. Uh, Amanda is a little bit older, um, my age and uh, my vintage, and again has been hiking for a very long time, different sort of hiking. And uh, it was really interesting when we started to talk to Amanda She wondered why we would be interested because she didn't feel that she was um, such an energetic hiker. Um, It's really funny how we measure ourselves and and how we um, think of what we do and perhaps even downplay a little bit of what we do. But you'll get to hear Amanda and the hiking that she does with friends and family as well as the contribution she makes through a number of uh, hiking trips a year that she does with Operation Flinders. So uh, very different perspective on hiking and uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy hearing from Amanda. So I'm here talking with Amanda. Um, Amanda has a lot of experience hiking both in Australia and overseas. Uh, she has hiked all sorts of different places including the Larapinta Trail and the Three Capes Walk in Tasmania. And I've known Amanda for many years, but for some reason we just haven't been hiking together. I'm not quite sure why that's the the case. So I'd like to start by thanking Amanda for being here to talk to us today. 
Hello, Amanda. Hello, Jill. (laughs) We have known each other a while, 2003. Yeah, I know. And we talk so much about walking, but you're right. We need to fix that. We need to walk. We do need to walk. We do need to walk together. Yes. Yes. So, Amanda, um, you've done all sorts of things. You've you've been on this huge journey, life journey. Um, Tell us a bit about yourself and... Uh, how you got into hiking? Yeah, well, um, I live in Canberra. I moved here 17 years ago. Before that, I was in Sydney. That's where I was born and bred. I think being um, being born in Sydney in in the time I was born, uh, we spent a lot of do- a lot of time outdoors because that's what we didn't have computer games and things like that. <laughs> but I always enjoyed being outside, and my parents would often take us on little holidays where we'd um, go to the beach and be outdoors. Um, it wasn't though until I moved to England some years later when I was working. I moved to England in the late 80s and that's where I started finding hiking, got involved in hiking. I always enjoyed walking, like just normal walking, but hiking, my first experience was in England and uh, that sort of kicked it off from then. Yeah, that's... So whereabouts have you hiked in England? What sort of hikes have you been doing? Well, what we've discovered there, and I can only assume that my husband and I found this out by talking to other friends. Most of my hiking stories are through friends, by the way, you know, nothing I think we did on our own. My husband and I found these things called ordnance survey maps. We lived in London and they were so easy to understand. We didn't need a compass. We could look at the map and work out where to walk, which pub to go to, which little <laughs> town to go and buy coffee in and how to come back home again and not get lost and walk through fields and farms and go up hills. And we just bought all the ordnance survey maps and would discover England by going on these day walks. And they would, we might have taken a day pack. We weren't even thinking then about what to carry. We might, we might have carried a backpack. We just would go for these lovely long walks in the countryside of England. Oh, that's fantastic. Mm. So bit, perhaps a bit cl- closer to home, um, mm. what's your favourite walk, favourite hike and why? Yes, that's uh, we've done a few walks and the favourite hikes, um, well, one of them, it's hard to say which is a favourite. One that we loved in New Zealand was the Heafy Track. And we loved that because it was our first walk where where um, husband and I did our own packing, our own guiding. So we weren't supported. So we carried everything in our pack for five days. And that was our first independent walk, although we were staying in the New Zealand huts. But it was a beautiful walk anyway. So we loved it both for the beauty, but also for that sense of independence that we weren't relying on guides. Um, the other one, so Australian, our favourite Australian walk is something we did with a company and it was Kakadu Explorer and we were nine days on the Arnhem Land escarpment. They guided us. There were no tracks. They just struck out each day. Oh, wow. And it was in winter. We were living in, sleeping in mozzie domes, swimming in fresh water every day because we were, we were walking by rivers and um, carrying pretty heavy packs because we were carrying everything, including the food. Um, and it was just peaceful. No other human being there because not many people can get to the Arnhem Land escarpment without a guide. And it was like a it was like a blissed out retreat. Just yeah, beautiful place. And we were seeing lots of beauty in um, the rocks. We would go and explore places they hadn't been to. They'd say, "Let's go over to that set of rocks," and then we'd <laughs> find all these Aboriginal artwork. Oh wow! That probably not a lot of other people had seen. Yeah. yeah. So that is 
if I were to go and do another walk again, and I don't know whether I've got enough years in me to repeat, I'd go back and do that one. Yeah. Mm. Look, it's interesting because that, that's the sort of stuff that um, we really enjoy. It's the mm. just going to somewhere that not everybody gets to go to and the mm. solitude of it and also the challenge, mm. personal, mm. you know, physical and emotional and probably a little bit of intellectual challenge yes. in there as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Mm. So this podcast that we're doing is about Mm. women in hiking and Mm. and, um, we get lots of questions um, about, uh, you know, the sorts of things that are probably more specific to women or at least sometimes we think they're specific to women but they're not always. Um, What, I guess, uh, when you started out hiking were some of the concerns that you had and Mm. what do you think about those concerns now that you look back and you've, you know, had so much experience? Yeah, well, I hadn't thought about what concerns I had in the past until you know, I've been thinking about this question. When we were doing those day hikes in, in England, I don't think we even thought we had concerns. We just needed to know that we could read the map and you know, go for a short walk and get back home again. Yeah. Um, I don't think we had any concerns then. Um, more recently, because I'm thinking what concerns might I have... Um, it would be around safety. It would be around, um, well, I'm, I'm wondering, like, things like snakes and things like that. There are snakes in Australia, so I don't worry too much about yeah. um, things like that. But my concerns would be, can we carry enough food? Can we have enough water? So if if I were to think about going off track or going on a walk where there was no fresh water, that would probably be my number one concern. So a lot of the walks we do, water isn't a problem. And I think that might be actually unconsciously or subconsciously deliberate yeah. that we don't choose those really difficult walks where we might not have clean water. Um, so that would be probably number one concern and to be able to carry enough food. So we only walk as many days as we could carry our food. So food, water. Um, the other concern I have around is around safety. But again, I think that subconsciously I've managed that by only ever walking with groups or with my husband. I've never thought about going out on my own. It's an interesting mm. one. On Larapinta, we saw qu- quite a few younger women mm. by themselves. Um, and I just thought, wow, that was so mm. impressive. And at their age, I probably never would have thought about doing that. And mm. even at my age, I probably wouldn't have thought yeah. about doing it. But it was just fantastic to see. Mm. Um, and, you know, there was probably a little bit of a mix in terms of concern about safety. A couple mm. were a bit cautious, perhaps, mm. but not fearful. Mm. Um, and others just weren't at all concerned. And they, there was no need for them to be either. Mm. You know, it was the very um, supportive, safe environment, even, you know, mm. when you're passing a bunch of strangers. So, yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah. I was thinking about the solitary walking. And and I think the reason why I don't do it, although occasionally I like it, is because it's not the number one um thing that I want to do you know that that getting away for a long time solitude in the bush that's not my way of getting solitude if I did I'd probably be researching a lot more about yeah. how to do that um I love walking up in the Namaji National Park yeah well we we love walking and occasionally I think would have been if I had a, a bit of time and I wanted to walk on my own I'd probably go up there to a place I know and I think I'd feel quite happy 
walking walking up there. So as far as the concerns go around solitude, um, yes, walking walking in known places uh, would probably satisfy that need not to feel insecure and unsafe. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So we've talked about um, the original um, perhaps concern that... Mm. You didn't have, which was, you know, as long as we've got a map, we'll be fine. Yeah. Was that a little bit of um, what you didn't know as opposed to what you did know? Should you have been a bit more concerned? Oh. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know because these paths are probably well trod and they're marked. The, the, the For many hundreds of years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe even thousands. Yes, hundreds yes. of years. Um, and we knew where we were going, so yeah. we weren't going off track. Like here in Australia, when we think off track, we think you can get lost and no one will find you again. We're, we're in a congested country in England. Yeah. And we're probably walking across farmers' land as well yeah. and walking through town. So I don't think we ever knew we'd be somewhere isolated. Yeah. It's really interesting because some of the hikes that we've done, multi-day long, mm. long hikes, we've prepared on the basis that the trail's not well marked, mm. Mm. Um, but it has been. And then some of the really short, you know, few-hour um, hikes that we've done, you think, where's the trail? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you can't, you can't sort of. Um, pick it really sometimes yes. yeah yes yeah we have done a lot of walks where there are known tracks and that's probably again i don't know that's necessarily deliberate it's probably just part of our gaining our experience and not knowing not i used not to have compass skills but oh. i do but at the time not having compass skills so we were more interested in let's just get out into the bush, but know we can know that we can enjoy it. Have somewhere to sleep each night, so know that we're going to a known campground or yep. to a known hut or or something like that, because it was the walk itself we were looking forward to. So we probably weren't that interested in finding a walk that didn't have tracks, because that would have taken away the pleasure for us. That the pleasure was the walk, and we didn't really want to get into these places where we might lose the track. Yeah. Because, but you know, later on in life, we'd probably be much better at doing that because we have compass skills now, which we used not to have. Yeah. <laughs> that's yes. always a good yes. comfort, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So getting back to uh, women in hiking, yes. again, all the hiking you've been mm. doing, I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing mm. some of your hints and tips for mm. women on the trail. Uh, yeah. You know, um, it pro- they probably, p- particularly around things like hygiene, probably relate mm. to men as well, but they probably don't yeah. worry too much about it. Yeah. So yes. what what are some of the things that you can share mm. with us around how, how you get through some of those longer hikes that you do? Yes, yes. And so the number one I think for women is what I've learned over the years is how simply I can have a walk without needing much. Now, I've met quite a few women that couldn't bear the idea of not washing their hair, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't take shampoo. <laughs> so I've learned, because I'm quite, can live quite minimally out on the, yeah. the, the, the trail, I've learned that initially my very first walk, when we did a long-distance walk, it was 10 years ago, we did the Great Ocean. No, we didn't do Great Ocean Walk. We did the Overland Track. We did the Great Ocean Walk another time. The Overland Track was our first long-distance walk. I didn't know what to pack. I didn't know how many things I needed. So... Um, what I've learned since then is how minimally women can. I mean, I'm sure men can as well, but we don't need much. 
to travel um, as long as we've got food and, and sleep um, sleeping gear mm-hmm. so things like don't need shampoo don't need lots of cosmetics don't need don't need anything almost a toothbrush <laughs> a toothpaste probably a few other things so for for women and don't even need a change so change of clothes probably that never mattered to me but I've learned more and more over the years how freeing it is to have one change of clothes like just the essentials yeah, just have the essentials to get through and not to be worried that if you're walking in a group of people you're wearing something new each night or will you be smelly because yeah, so, everybody else is too yes. so it doesn't really no one notices mm. yeah <laughs> that's right that's right so I've learned just you can pack really minimally you don't need any extra stuff because you're just out there walking yeah yeah mm. okay okay yes. so um what about some of the hygiene um, hints that you can share with us? Yeah. Okay. Well, toothbrush, toothbrush and toothpaste, of course. I carry a comb. The hygiene, so the comb's really just for keeping the hair kind of neat. I always get my hair cut really short yeah. before a long walk. That's mm. how I do it. Yeah. <laughs> no yes. comb. Yeah. Just every now and then. Um, for the hygiene, so um, I do find that this is probably my luxury Um to be able to have a bit of a wash at night but it, it doesn't take much so I carry chucks those chucks things from the kitchen and I carry a few of them and there's very light they're super light and I'll keep one that I can wash my face with and I only need like a a palm full of water like a couple of cup, a couple of lids from a mm-hmm. water bottle it doesn't take much to wet a chucks and when you're out in the bush it's amazing how just a little wash down with a wet cloth can can make the day or make the evening going to bed at night so much better and so I carry a few of those because I'll do one on the body mm-hmm. I'll do one on the body and so I can do a wash down I can have a damp chucks that might be drip not dripping so I don't mm-hmm. need very much of my precious water but you cut them up too don't you I you do cut them smaller yeah so sometimes you get, get them quite big so I might have them like a foot <laughs> a foot square whatever that is yeah a foot square um and I'll cut that in half, and so for those little bits, I'll use them for the for the hygiene bits, for the you know those bits down there, there. Down, down there. Yes, that's <laughs> right, the down there. So I'll because I'll I'll dispose of those if we're where we, if we're if we have a fire, I will burn them because we do a lot of walks um, with uh, where we do have fires. So I'll burn them, or if they're tiny, like they might only be a few inches, like just enough to make a tiny little cloth, and I can dispose of those every day. You know, if after a five or an eight day walk. They weigh almost nothing. I can take them out so mm-hmm. I don't bury them. Yeah. So one of those every day. And then a few other cloths I could probably reuse those a couple of times just to wash. And I just wash down my arms, my legs, my torso, the back of my neck, and just to keep the grit out so that keeps me clean. But it also gives me a lot more energy, just that little bit of freshness. Yeah. yeah so for the, the female hygiene, I carry very, very little, just chucks and water. I don't like those... Um, baby wipe things mm. I don't like the chemicals on my skin so mm. I just prefer the natural water and it's also one less thing to to carry to lug around mm. yeah absolutely mm. so when you're out and about mm. what's your pet hate when you're hiking water rain I mean no I love water <laughs> but um, we've been so blessed that we've had very little rain on our walks, but we did have a big downpour in New Zealand because that's what happens down there. And walking in dripping socks and wet boots, I found that uncomfortable. But, you know, 
that's if that's the extent of my dislike, that's a pretty you know, um, trivial thing to worry about. But I must admit, I I do prefer not walking in the rain. Although some places look so much more beautiful in the rain, and and although I carry all my gear properly in bags, it's still that idea of having to pull things out in the rain. One thing that we haven't done, and I am that would concern me is putting up a tent and sleeping bag in a downpour so it's, it's things like that that would put me off because I don't know what I'd do if I had a dripping sleeping bag mm. that's mm. never happened before mm. these aren't big worries but mm. uh, it just goes to show um, we don't have a lot of worries it's interesting isn't it because I think that's one of the things that we find when um, we're talking to people about hiking that the preparation is really important mm. But you are preparing for those moments where there's mm. a big downpour. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like us, fortunately, we haven't had to put the mm. tent up in a big downpour. Mm. Um, but we're reasonably confident we could do it and mm. do it, you know, reasonably well uh, if we had mm. to. Um, but it's an interesting one that mm. you don't you don't want to do it, but you're always prepared for yeah. the moment that you have to do yeah. it and pretty yeah. lucky uh, that you haven't. We we do do some preparation though around that because what would be the worst that we'd have a wet sleeping bag or a wet tent and it'd be in our wet pack like a pack that's, pack that's wet, but I do make sure that I pack dry clothes, so the fear of being cold from the wet would be mitigated because no matter what, if we did have a downpour, I always make sure that I carry and it's thermals, it's icebreakers. Just being able to get into warm clothes, that would mitigate that. So it might be a fear of the rain and the, the wet, but we will be prepared. We, <laughs> I do carry I do carry dry clothes. So we've talked about uh, safety, we've talked about, um, I guess, uh, fears that mm. people have, we've, we've talked about um, hygiene. Um, what, what one personal thing would you not leave home without? Hmm. Personal thing. Okay, so if... Oh, yeah, so, yeah, on walks that um, – I do two types of walks. Yeah. So ones with, with groups where we can't carry too much, have to carry lightweight stuff. I would carry my Kindle. So oh, really? Yeah, so, you, actually, yes, I haven't carried it for a while. A few years ago, we did the South Coast track in Tasmania. That was a nine-day walk. And I had an e-reader. And because we had time each night, that I love because I didn't have to charge it up. So an e-reader that didn't need charging for nine days, that was my, that was my luxury. Yeah. So apart from that, I don't know, just, I just like to have the basics, enough food. Sometimes on walks, if we're not doing our own catering and we do this, um, do some walks in the Flinders Ranges. Um, I'll carry some extra food because some of the food that's provided isn't that great. But um, like, I was, like I was saying earlier on when you're asking me questions, I've learnt to live on very little, that the, that we don't need a lot of stuff. So the luxuries, the luxuries are my chucks. The luxury, <laughs> the luxuries is a toothbrush. Oh, and also one little tiny bit of face cream, just be able to put some moisture in the dry climate. Like they're the little things and it's... I'm, yeah, but an e-reader. Yep, an e-reader. And maybe, I haven't done this for a while, maybe a book and a pen so I might want to write things. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'd add to my pack. Yeah, that's mm. great. That's great. Mm. I, I don't take an e-reader, but I mm. usually take 
a, a, a small book and a pen. Mm. Actually, yeah. a pencil, but yeah, just yes. in case the pen doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So you mentioned the um, the hiking that you're doing in mm. the Flinders Ranges, yeah. and um, you've you've managed to combine your uh, passion for hiking with yeah. um, your commitment to community, and you're a volunteer mm. with Operation Flinders. Yes, just wondering if you'd like to give us a bit of an overview of what that's about yeah. and what your role is. Yes, yeah. So Operation Flinders is a charity that's been around for 25 years. It's based in South Australia and it provides wilderness therapy hikes for at-risk teenagers. So what they do is they source the kids from school. So schools nominate their school group to go for these walks. Operation Flinders has been around for 25 years and it's it's, it's a big deal. It's it's a well-known organisation in South Australia. So there are six exercises a year from March till October or late September and in each of those exercises up to 10 school groups will arrive at this property in the far northern Flinders Ranges that Operation Flinders owns, and each group of 10 participants from a school will come with two school teachers, and Operation Flinders provides a team leader and an assistant team leader. So there could be 14 of us out there. Sometimes other kids come back, they're peer group mentors, so they come as mentors that have done it before. So there could be 15 of us in a group. So imagine 10 of those out in the field for two weeks. So I'm an assistant team leader and the role of the team leader and the assistant team leader is to get this group around the property and we walk from site to site. We have a compass. There is no, There are no paths and we need to work our way. We're told the grid references and we walk from grid reference to grid reference. Okay. Yeah. So the route changes every time because you do it a mm. few times a year. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. and, and uh, yeah. the... the the teenagers, the kids, mm. this is part of their role that they have to help get the group to where yeah. it needs to get it. Yes, so this wilderness therapy um, adventure walk they do is not just the walk, but we give them challenges to do and even just getting prepared for dinner. We give them jobs we have to set up, we have to um, uh, we have to you know, set up the, the, the camping site so they carry all these yeah. ground sheets and things, so coochies, they have to settle. So we're teaching them a lot of things to do. Some of these kids have never camped out in the bush before, so the littlest, tiniest, tiniest thing can challenge their confidence or help them to build courage. So we, we work with them. Our job is to get them through eight days. These kids haven't walked, of challenging walking, and that in itself brings out a whole lot of qualities in them that which we notice, and the teachers notice. The aim is to build their confidence so they go back to school and become a little bit more committed to school and to a better start in life. It gives them time out away from all the technology, all their friends, all their bad behaviours and they think. So our job is to help them to think. And so the role that I play there a lot, not just getting them around the site with the team leader, but um, spending time talking to the kids and understanding them and hearing them and helping them to think about what their life could be like. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we carry full packs for seven nights, eight days. And, yes, as you said, we, we, we don't have a set route. So the exercise commander at the beginning of ex- exercise works out where all the sites are and what the routes are, and we're just given our grid references. Yeah, And these kids, we help them to navigate too. We teach them navigation skills, all sorts of things, show them the landscape, show them how to work out where to go. Yeah. yeah. Mm. 
And and no doubt you get to see some amazing transformations of these kids. Yes. Uh, Yeah, we've seen some during the walk. But what keeps me going is I hear the stories months, years later. So some of the other assistant team leaders and team leaders I've met, they said they were participants 15 years ago, 10 years ago. Wow. Yeah. And um, and I've met um, um, well peer group mentors. These are kids that have very recently walked, so they're still teenagers, and they're asked to come back to be mentors to to a school group. So I see that they've already changed in the year, and I have walked with participants who now come back, and they're peer group mentors in in our group. And it's so lovely to, to walk with a well, I walked with a boy who was a participant two years ago, and this year. He's walking as a peer group mentor, so in two years he's he's changed. Yeah. Hmm. So um, again, getting back to women in hiking, mm. if we think about the teenage girls that, because yeah. they're mixed groups, mm. yes. teenage girls that uh, go on Operation Flinders, mm. you know, what's the sort of kind of impact that you would see in them versus what you might see in teenage mm. boys? Yeah. Well. We haven't actually seen a difference in the impact on them that, and the research shows that they, they don't, uh, when they research the effectiveness, they don't see that females get different benefits to males. I just see the way the girls talk and what they think about. So more likely I've heard more girls say, I'm, you know, I'm going to be kinder to my friends or I'm going to get off Facebook or, um, you know, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know I didn't need a shower. You know, maybe I don't need that hairdresser, uh, that, um, that hairdryer as much as I thought. So, and that's um, one of the things you were saying mm. earlier about uh, when they all turn up with mm. their kit ready to go. Yes. You, even though you've given them a list of uh, what to mm. bring, yeah. you get them to empty everything out on a on yeah. a tarp and they bring all sorts of extras. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and the, the girls do bring many more clothes and beauty products and, yeah. Um, so they... They can't, or their iPhones or anything like that. So they can't bring any of those things that yeah. um, they need, and they're fine. You know, they actually. What we notice, they don't actually talk about it much. They all, of course, can't wait to get home, and the first thing they want is to have a shower or to, you know, better put put on makeup again. But during the during the the seven days of walking, we rarely hear them sit down and talk about things like beauty and how they look and. Wouldn't my yeah. life be better if I had yeah. makeup today? <laughs> yeah. Oh, some would say that. They would. But um, what happens on these walks is the conversations turn to other things. For the ones that start to turn, start to notice that there's um, there's something going on in their life, they'll start to more openly reflect about themselves. So that's the thing I notice more of. I don't really think too much about whether they need deodorant or not. Mm. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, but they all do get great outcomes, whether they're male or, or female. Yeah. Mm. Um, we will put a link to the mm. Operation Flinders mm. website for those who are interested, but it is mm. a great program and, mm. as you say, it's been going on yeah. going on for a long time yeah. and uh, six programs a year. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I've certainly learned something today, mm. which was... The yes. route's different every time. Yes, yes. So it never gets boring. No, 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 it, it doesn't. Oh, and it never gets boring because you don't know what's going to happen with the kids each day. Yeah, that's Every true. day yeah. is an adventure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we were also talking earlier about the amount of water that you carry mm. on the the trip. And, mm. and um, can you tell us how much you carry and just relay a conversation that you had with one of the... Yeah. The guides. Yes, yeah. yes, with Operation Flinders. Yes, yeah. yeah. Yes, so we carry, I carry a two-litre camelback and we're also given two one-litre bottles. So I would fill up four litres of water 
a day thinking that, you know, I never know whether I might need it. And um, that's four extra kilos on the pack. And we're carrying a lot of other things too. So although I like to travel light on the walks that aren't Operation Flinders, I like to travel as light as I can, not ultra light, but um, minimal. On Operation Flinders, we have to carry a lot of stuff. We have to carry first aid kits. So this extra four kilos of water, and I was talking to another team leader recently because he's very good at traveling very light. And he said, you know, there's plenty of water around. You know, we actually don't need that much water. We're not moving at a fast pace. The weather's not super hot. The, the walks we walk on, we're not walking in really hot weather. Mm-hmm. He said, you don't need to carry four litres of mm-hmm. water a day. So we spend more time making sure the kids have their water bottles filled because they forget to do that. But we don't need to carry that much. We can drink a lot in the morning and we're going to be at camp by 4pm. There's water there. We're not going to get lost anywhere. If that happened and we got stuck somewhere, without water the base team that'd be a pretty drastic situation the base team would come and support us so so I'm I'm rethinking about how much water we really need in the milder climate yeah. when water is around so I think I might even be able to get away with two that's two kilos less two yeah. litres of water would probably be enough yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what's the usual uh, weight of the, the pack that you carry when you're on Operation Flinders? I don't know because I've not weighed it, but maybe 16 kilos. Yeah. Yeah. I train with a 17-kilo pack. I climb up and down Red Hill yeah. with a 17-kilo yeah. pack to train. I think my pack weighs a bit lighter than that, but we are carrying a few other things on our body like heavy radios and first aid kits and so on. I've never weighed it, but I'm going to guess that it could be that's with water okay 15 16 kilos yeah we don't walk very fast (laughs) yeah we have kids we stop a lot (laughs) we have kids with us teenagers hurry Mm. them up a bit yeah yeah Yeah, that's probably the way Mm. so just to finish off what's Mm. on your bucket list what's the top top hike that you would want to do that you haven't done so far yeah there are two really love to do Travis Sabine in New Zealand in the Nelson Lake. So when we went and did the Heafy track, we talked to New Zealanders that we met and, and asked the New Zealanders which walk they would do. Not what not what foreigners would do because yeah, it's yeah. the most popular. Travis Sabine, it's on our list. And the other one is I'd love to go to England and do the coast to coast. I love England. I haven't been there for years. I'd love to walk the coast to coast or something like that. Something in, in, Europe, in Europe or England. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And where will you be hiking next? We are going to do a series of day walks next week on Bruni Island. Oh, fantastic. Yes. So we also, even though we like multi-day hikes staying in different places, we also get a lot of joy from staying in one place, like a base camp, which we're going to do, stay in an Airbnb, and do long walks each day. We could easily probably do 15, 20 uh, 20 kilometres doing something like that, knowing that we don't have to carry too much. So we can do long day walks with day packs and come back to our accommodation. Bruny Island next week. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, we'll have to get you back and do mm. do some trail reviews for us. I, I, oh, okay. I'll do that. <laughs> oh, no stress oh, now. <laughs> yeah. Now, now I'll have to take that notebook and pen. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Amanda. Mm. It's been lovely to uh, chat with you mm. and to hear about your experience and uh, the things that you've done, the things that you're mm. doing and the things that you're going to do. Yeah. And, uh, you know... Great work with Operation Flinders. It's just very um, reinforcing and empowering to hear about the contribution that you and the other team leaders make Mm. to those teenagers. Thank you. And I'm so excited about us, Aussie Hiker. 
you know, I've seen you from your very first posting. So it's a great pleasure to contribute to this. Thank you, Jill. Thanks, yeah. Amanda. And thank Tim as well. Thank you. Uh, another great interview, um, uh, again, this time from Amanda. So I really appreciate Amanda and Caitlin uh, taking the time to talk with us and to share their experiences with you. That's all for this episode. Uh, as usual, you can hear us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, as well as our website. Uh, if you do go on to iTunes, uh, please write a review. You can uh, do that in conjunction with the competition that we're running uh, for the next few weeks. And uh, our next episode, uh, we'll be talking about the experiences that we've had in uh, running uh, and producing uh, podcasts for Australian Hiker in the last 12 months as part of our celebration for our first birthday. So thank you for listening and bye from me.